Welcome to Book Talk, produced by the Better Living Institute and sponsored by App Judo for your software needs, BulletPad for writing lists on your iPad, and also sponsored by our listeners. That's folks like you. We're Kira and Bill Van Ittersom, and today we're going to be talking about a book called Practical Miracles for Mars and Venus. The book has a subtitle, Nine Principles for Lasting Love, Increasing Success, and Vibrant Health in the 21st Century. It's written by John Gray, Ph.D., and has a copyright of 2000 for the hardback version and a copyright of 2001 for the paperbacked version. It was published by HarperCollins. Now, this book is a testament to John Gray, who many consider to be an expert relationship writer. The Mars and Venus series has been one of the largest selling series in the history of relationship books, according to the New York Times. This is a book that he wrote quite a few years after writing the Mars and Venus initial book and then the series. And then he had an outgrowth of workshops and seminars that came about from the Mars and Venus book. The title of that book was just a stroke of genius, I think, too. (laughs) Well, it sure did capture the public's imagination. And we do love this book because of the message that the nine principles brings forward. And if you remember last week, we did our podcast on the Abundance book by John Randolph Price. And in that, he had the 40-day plan for prosperity. Now, we're still working through the 40-day plan, and we'll let you know down the road how that's working out. But this was a good book in addition to that one because it helps to anchor many of the new changes in your awareness that are happening within the 40-day prosperity plan. And that's one of the things I noticed right away that made it a value to read. Many times it seems that you start something and then some new idea comes along and then you try that one as well. And competing ideas can actually thwart your forward progress. So I didn't want to do that, but as I got into reading the nine principles, I saw how much that they were additive to this program that we're already undertaking. In the introduction to his book, John Gray talks about things that are happening in our modern culture, in our Western society. Change, of course, is the biggest thing that we're dealing with as a culture. Change can be positive or change can be negative, or we can refuse to change. He lists some of the individual symptoms of our inability to change with these modern times, one being more divorce, more shattered relationships than ever before, more personal debt than ever before, and more personal obesity than ever before. Contributing factors to the obesity, of course, are addictive eating, addictive drinking, and addictive overworking, which, of course, means less exercise. Additional issues that would accompany obesity are allergies to food, air and water, chronic physical pain, diabetes, heart disease, cancer, brain dysfunction, stroke, and even kidney disease. So you can see why John Gray is concerned about how we're living and how our lifestyle is affecting us. These symptoms are not only individual symptoms either. They do affect society at large. As a society, we have too much debt, and that's both local and national debt. We also have a lot of increasing incidences of domestic violence. 
we have the rising cost of health care. And this is a direct correlation to the fact that people are becoming much more sick and this problem that we have in our country with obesity. So yeah, there is a very great concern for addressing these issues. So then what is a practical miracle? John Gray describes a practical miracle as the ability to begin and then to integrate a lasting change into your life in any different area of your life. So this would be real change for good. No more good intentions gone bad or just forgotten. He gives an example of people right after New Year's having all their great resolutions and by Valentine's Day, they're all forgotten long past. So he says that if you can incorporate something meaningful, some kind of change, whether it's a dietary change, whether it's a change in relationships, and you can accomplish that change and make it last, then that is a practical miracle. Yeah, I think that's true. And you know, a lot of times we go to major seminars, we spend a lot of money looking to change some aspect of ourselves. And that effect that's drawn out of that seminar doesn't last very long, generally speaking. So yeah, I'm, I was very curious about that when we got into this book about exactly how he was going to make things stick. We know that miracles happen all the time, both large and small ones. And sometimes it's a physical miracle, like a physical healing. And people can be cured of things like cancer and heart disease, even blindness and deafness without any professional help at all. And this is especially after doctors have given up. But these miracles do happen in all areas of our life. We might For example, meet the right person at just the right time or find just the perfect job, becoming successful and starting a new business or getting a promotion. Sometimes it's just a matter of having happy, healthy children. These are all miracles, great or small. Unfortunately, after they happen to us quite frequently or over a period of time, we happen to start to think that they're no longer miracles, that maybe they're just good luck. And this implies that you would have no control over that good fortune. It just kind of happens to you. Oh, you've been good, and God is blessing you or smiling on you, or you have good karma. (laughs) Others who don't get these miracles, they don't. Because some people don't know how these miracles occurred, they just think that in addition to the good fortune and the good luck, oh, it's just a happenstance. It would have happened to anybody. So if it's not luck, then what is it? People are making choices all the time, and the choices are made, and then the results come. Our beliefs, feelings, thoughts, attitudes, our actions all determine the results that we get in life. If we can learn to control these things in our lives, then we can learn how to create practical miracles every day for ourselves. This involves going backwards as well to review the choices that you made that led up to today's good fortune or even to today's hardship. Because those choices that you made create the hardship as well as creating good fortune. So he says there's a problem with miracles. And so I said, problem? Problem with miracles? I don't have a problem with miracles. Bring them on. But he says that without proper anchoring, that miracles usually don't last. So you might get a healing, but six months down the road, year down the road, you're right back into that same situation because the miracle didn't anchor. It didn't last. He says that when change isn't sustained, people become disenchanted and they stop believing in miracles altogether. 
or even that we have the ability to have what we want, or that we can make our own dreams somehow come true. Then people become wary of sudden miraculous cures and or miracles in general because they never last. I know I've had incidents where I really believed something would happen, and it really does seem like your belief creates that thing happening. But belief alone is not enough to actually sustain it. So then we get jaded and we get discouraged. The fleeting nature of miracles makes us stop believing in even positive change. We no longer believe that change for the positive is even possible. When this happens, we have given up all of our personal power to change. And we resign ourselves to just a humdrum existence. Well, I guess this is as good as it gets. And we resolve to live life in this state, which unfortunately is a passionless life. Now, one of the things I want to mention before we actually get into the nine principles, and he actually does set out nine principles here. I think one of the really fortunate aspects of this for you and I, Bill, is that we do these things together. And I remember a time when we really weren't on the same page, largely because you were going off to work. You would come home, you would dump these wonderful books like this one and many others in my lap because you are an avid visitor to the library. You're there all the time. You see these beautiful books and you would bring them home to me and I would read them and want to implement them. The trouble is when you don't have two people on the same page, then you are kind of doing the program by yourself. So I just want to point out that I think if you're going to do these kind of programs as a couple, it would really benefit you to do them together. So John Gray, before he introduces the nine principles, introduces the benefits of the nine principles. The first benefit is that it does help to anchor the results of the miracles. Because it's great to have a miracle, but if it doesn't last or if it's not anchored, then what good was it? It's more frustrating than if you didn't get it in the first place. The second secret for awakening your inner potential is to do the as if. The as if you already own these gifts. As if these miracle creating gifts are second nature to you. As if you can depend on them in a crisis. And boy, that's a smart one. As if the results last the test of time. I think that the nine principles help you to recognize and eliminate your old limiting beliefs. You start to develop new beliefs and new habits and new thinking patterns, and you get rid of all those that will cycle your success with creating miracles in your life. Yeah, that's really important, Kira. And that's one of the reasons why I peaked up when I actually read the nine principles and thought, yeah, we need to do a podcast on this book, even following the Abundance book. So, kicking it off then, the nine principles. Principle one is believe as if miracles are possible. Use your imagination and try to remember what it was like as a little child waiting for Christmas and do that exercise about these miracles. He says that belief alone will give you a new hope again. And with hope, you can be motivated to make new resolutions. And with hope and trust, you can develop the will to follow them through. And this will help you replace procrastination with that magic word, action. (laughs) And this is so true. 
We watched The Secret movie, and you see a lot of the people in there instilling that, that new beliefs. the movie called The Secret. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's, not, it's not a secret movie. It's not a secret, but it is called The Secret. Yes. <laughs> and so many people in there are using this principle because those who are working on their relationship, they're listing all the things they're grateful for in their partner. And none of these things are present at the moment that they're writing them down, but they really want these things to be true. So they write them down as if they already are true and then adopt the belief that they will in fact come true. And miraculously, over and over again, we see that that took place. Principle number two of the nine principles is live as if you are free to do what you want. In America, you know that we live in the land of the free and the home of the brave, but do most Americans feel that anymore? And do we really feel like we can do what we want? That's another attitude to adopt, that yes, in fact, you are free and you can do anything you want to do. If you have that feeling, I just know I can't cut loose then you're not allowing yourself the luxury to feel your freedom. So use your imagination and feel what it's like to be free. Before you can imagine being free, you need to work on what it is that you want to imagine. And this is the part that often disrupts or derails people. They are so starved creatively anymore that they only create lukewarm images. And a lukewarm image will not help you to imagine being free. That's right. And grown-ups in particular have a really hard time with this. For children, it's a no-brainer. They just imagine all the time everything that they want and, quite frankly, get a lot of it, too. (laughs) But grown-ups, we get frustrated because, you know, we've tried and tried to make things happen and maybe nothing did happen. So we just give up before we get started on this imagination. Karen and I met a little girl at the reading hour at Barnes & Noble Books the other day, and she was three and a half, I think it was. Our granddaughter just turned four. And she was one of the engines on the Thomas the Train series. And I said, you mean she likes the engines? And her dad said, no, she's the engine today. Today, she's Percy, and she's going down the tracks. For those of you who know the Thomas the Train stories. And I said, okay, well, then I am another one of the engines. I can't remember right now which engine I call myself. <laughs> but, yeah, she was interested in going down the track before the story hour started up last week. <laughs> so she had no trouble doing her imagining and what she wanted to do and where she wanted to be. Uh, yes. Readily lives there. <laughs> So that's why workshop leaders give you like a million dollars sometimes in these workshops and say, here, you can spend this any way you want to. Imagine you have a million dollars. What are you going to do? If you had a million dollars today, what would you do with the rest of your life? This is an interesting question because most people go, well, I don't have a million dollars. And And they fight the experience and they fight the ability to do the imagination even that way. But would you quit your job? So imagine that you won the lotto for $40 million and you get half of it right now because you take it as a lump sum and now you got $20 million. So would you quit your job or would you stay working there? Would you have a new car next week? Would you buy a new house? And then when you got done with all those material sides of your life, what new things would you want to add so that you could be occupied, so that you could maybe give goodwill to other people, so maybe you could help take care of some of your relatives? Would you do any volunteer work? Would you work in a field that you haven't tried yet? Have you always wanted to be a painter? Would you try to be a painter? Have you always wanted to be a musician? Would you get those instruments out and really learn to play them this time and really learn what it's like to be in that creative field? What would you do? 
So yeah. write it down. <laughs> a million dollars would maybe free your time up quite a bit. So you could make a lot of great choices. You might even want to help others, but just for yourself alone, you know, it's a great exercise to do. Jesus had a great quote in this area, and I'm sure that you've heard it before. It comes out of Matthew 18, 2 to 4. And Jesus said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this quote has been interpreted over and over and over the years. But Kira and my interpretation of this quote is, unless you shed your hardened and opinionated and limiting adult thinking and open yourself up and allow yourself the spontaneity and wonder and trust and acceptance of the childhood thinking model, you will not be successful with the miracle creation techniques that John Gray is wanting to teach you. And you will never end up creating your heaven on earth. And that's what we think Jesus meant by that quote. On the other hand, though, if you do what Jesus did suggest, you become like a child again, and you have that rich imagination, and you believe in it as a child does then your old, limited, and inhibited, and judgmental ideas will give way to liberating ideas, and you will essentially create freedom in your life. We need to take a break for a moment to thank a sponsor. This segment of our program is sponsored by App Judo, your complete web and mobile application development service. The Japanese word judo means the gentle way. The martial art of judo got this name because it signifies maximum efficiency and mutual welfare and benefit. App Judo follows these same principles in all its software development projects using the best technologies and computer science principles to serve clients' needs elegantly and intelligently. App Judo prides itself on building attractive and intuitive user interfaces that your customers will easily understand and love to use. Whether you want to design and build a new app or refactor and redesign an existing app, AppJudo can help make your project a success. Visit AppJudo today at www.appjudo.com. So principle three is learn as if you are a beginner. And you could see how much this follows off of principle two. And we just got done talking about becoming as a little child, will learn as a beginner becomes the same type of thing. The practical miracles are then sustained by changes to your thinking, even as remotely as changes to your diet can do this, because you're changing the energy level in your body when you change your diet, the same as you're changing the energy level in your mind when you change your thinking. That's right. And you remember on our last podcast, when we were talking about Dr. Amon's book on healthy nutrition for the brain, we said brain health operates much the same as a computer. Garbage in equals garbage out. And it's the same way with any kind of energy. Garbage in, garbage out. Food energy works the same way. Which means if you have a steady diet of fast food, fried and full of sugar and full of fat and the wrong kinds of fat that you can't be optimal. The same as if you fill your mind with very negative thoughts and very negative comments. What do you say to yourself when you're talking to yourself? What do you say when you're driving down the road? Are you yelling at the other drivers? Are you giving them the finger? Are you using your car as a weapon? What are you doing and how are you interacting? Positive, healthful, Loving thoughts will create 
a very calm, great inner vibration. And harsh, negative thoughts will do exactly the opposite. Really, what it amounts to is that we want to feed our bodies with good, natural food that's full of energy. All of the things that help us to become healthier, just naturally. As we see the results of this natural health that starts coming about, we do have more energy than to do other things in our life and to expend in other ways. In chapter 13, John Gray does describe what he calls the natural energy diet. And we invite you to take a look at that when you get the book and see how you feel about it. He says that as you try different aspects of it, you will come to learn just how your body reacts to nutritious food used in a proper way. And I believe the same approach of creating energy can help you in any area of your life because the more energy you free up with your positive thinking and your positive eating, the more positive energy then you can put into your relationships, whether it's a love relationship or any other relationship. You can also put positive energy into your career and into the financial aspects of your life, into the spiritual areas of your life. And even into, you know, the fun and entertainment and the enjoyment and happiness aspects of your life. All of those things begin to peak and become more accessible to you in a positive way when you have the positive energy flow going on to begin with because of your positive thinking and the food that you're feeding yourself. You begin to see that all the parts of yourself become as new. It's almost as if you've been given a new body and a new life, and it's now your choice to do what you want to with it. It's kind of like the example just before that somebody gave you that million dollars or, again, $20 million or $40 million. What are you going to do with it? Now someone has given you a new body and a new life. What are you going to do with it? It's yours to plan, and you can do it with a fresh plan and start off fresh. If nothing else, do it in your imagination so that you can feel what that would be like. Now, I'm beginning to see, and I hope that our audience is too, that this is why these changes become sustainable. Because you've made choices that actually are now making a difference in your life. You're beginning to feel better. You feel better emotionally and you feel better connected. You feel more balanced and you have so much more energy in your life that what starts happening is that you just begin to sort of naturally start making the right choices. That's right. And it's so interesting to see it happen, to stand back and watch it. So as we just talked about making choices as if you had a new body and a new life, well, principle four is now an extension of that because he says in principle four, love as if for the first time. So let your love life, let your love feelings, let your whole inner understanding of love be as if for the very first time. Exactly. And one of the things that happens when you do that is that you begin to live in the now. If everything is for the first time, then you're approaching life as if you're in a state of wonder and excitement about what's coming next. Like when you're newly in love, right? This is the easiest, the best way to rekindle a love relationship if you're in one. Right. Begin to look at your love partner as this person. You don't know what kind of miracle they're going to perform next. You know, they're just doing all these wonderful things and you're noticing them and being so appreciative of them because you have this newfound attitude, which is you're living in the present and you have this expectation of new energy entering your life. 
John Gray goes on to explain that relationship is actually plural relationships. So what does he mean by that? Well, it's not just your love partner, but it's your relationship with your children, your parents, your brothers and sisters, if you have them, with your co-workers, with your church members, and then extending out your relationships with your community, your neighborhood, and further extension community, and then relationships with all people all over the earth. Today, most of us can't even imagine having a relationship with all people on earth. But when you reach a certain spiritual understanding, you will have this overwhelming feeling of being connected with all souls on earth. It's very amazing. If you study a little bit about psychology, you discover that it really is true that any relationship that you undertake, whether it's a marriage relationship or partner relationship, we begin enacting all these different relationships from our past that have been wounded or hurt. The way to quickly escalate out of all that woundedness and that hurt feeling, I believe, is to approach everything with this new found way of looking at things as if you're living in the now and your now is full of limitless possibilities. So you're instilling into your life this newness. It does make a big difference when you're looking at life as if you have the potential to change it and you have the potential to look at it differently, even when other people are still acting the same way you can decide that you're not going to interpret their actions in the same way. One technique that John Gray gives us in this particular principle to help accomplish learning to love as if for the first time, and that tool or technique is to begin to communicate with a new ear. So that caught my attention. So most people, when you say the word communicate, they would think, immediately in their mind about what they're going to say to you and what two people are saying to each other. They don't stop to think that half the conversation is listening, and that's the area that most of us neglect. We're so busy thinking about the next thing to say that we haven't quite listened to what that other person says. So if you will practice hearing, practice listening, half the battle of communicating will be accomplished. He also says, practice forgiveness. Many people aspire to forgive others, but sometimes you just don't know how you're going to do it. You see what has happened or what was done as being such a bad thing that you just can't overcome it. We're not saying you have to befriend another person or even condone their behavior. But if you can begin to look at their behavior from a different viewpoint with the intentions of actually forgiving it, then it's helping you because you're releasing all of those negative thoughts and feelings that you've perhaps held for many, many years, and you've been poisoning your mind and poisoning your body with all of this negative energy that is a result of those kinds of thoughts. If you can begin to look at this person, perhaps themselves as someone who's been poisoned or injured, you can begin to at least forgive them for what has happened. And who does the lack of forgiveness really affect, really hurt? Is it hurting the person that hurt you? You're the one who won't forgive. And I have been involved in that thinking for a lot of my life. I have resentments that I have kept for years and just didn't realize that I was the one being hurt. I was the one feeling the pain. I was the one whose health was falling off. I was the one whose successes were not stellar as much as I would have liked them to be. And it took a long, long time to realize that forgiving... As Kira said, you don't have to become their friend again. 
You don't have to let them back in your life. You don't have to trust them. But don't let them keep hurting you over and over and over again by the poison that's accumulating in you because you don't forgive them. And there's different methods of forgiving. John Gray gives a few. We also have one coming up in our very next Healthy Tips podcast. It's podcast number 10, and it's called Walking Your Blues Away. In this particular book, the author John Hartman presents a very interesting technique to help dislodge and help dissipate all this negative energy. So, in effect, you do learn forgiveness. You certainly learn to put that experience in a place in your mind that it has no more power to bother you. It has no more power to rile you up every time you think of it or imagine it or it comes up in your life for some strange reason. It will just be another experience that happened and it will be put in its place. You can find Healthy Tips Podcasts at the iTunes Podcast. Just look for Better Living Institute Healthy Tips Podcast. Or you can find us on our website at www.betterlivinginstitute.com. And you can look for the Healthy Tips podcast page. This particular podcast, Practical Miracles for Mars and Venus, is in our book talk page. You can find it either place. Right. You can put people in their place. Forgive them. It will serve them right. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, who among us has not done something that we regret and something that we wish we could take back? I think most of us have done something like that. And we can say we're sorry, but the damage is sometimes done. Really, the only way we can be free is to practice forgiveness and to teach others to practice it as well. Principle number five is give as if you already have what you need. This is an interesting little twist to it because it's not saying act as if you have what you already need, but give as if you already have what you need. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? This is the age-old question. Do you need prosperity before you can properly give to others? Or do you need to give first before you can generate prosperity? Yeah, chicken or the egg preserved that. <laughs> How can we get the feeling of giving from a sense of fullness without expectations or demands? How can we accomplish that? Well, sales guru Zig Ziglar said, that you can have everything in life that you want if you will just help other people get what they want. And to help other people, this to me means the giving of yourself, of your creative talents, of your inner wellspring of love and life. That's what you're giving. So it doesn't necessarily mean give $1,000 to your charity and try to go broke in the process. It means that you start with what is truly yours, which is your talent and your gift of life and your gift of love. So it sounds like what you're saying is that to be successful giving this way, you have to give from your heart. You have to give what it is that you love to do and what it is that you love to be. There's really no other way to lasting happiness and fulfillment than by giving who you are and what you do best. So what we're also saying is you're going to have to loop back to principles two and three, and do your homework, you're going to have to find out what it is you love to do. You're going to have to find out for your own self what it is you love to be. By the time most of us hit our mid-30s, and especially in our 40s or mid-40s, 
We have spent so much time in a career, and most of us in a career that we really don't like that much anymore, or unfortunately, in careers that we hate. And we got there because they provided a certain amount of money, and now we need that money. And now we can't even imagine what it would be like to try to branch out somewhere else. First of all, we'd be starting at the bottom rung of the ladder. I remember Jim Carrey telling this story about his father, who was afraid to leave his sort of semi-successful job to go out and do what he wanted to do. He didn't do it, and therefore he did not ever reach success in his life. And Jim Carrey says that what that really illustrated to him is that you can be a failure at doing what you don't want to do, or you can be a failure at doing what you do want to do, But if you never try to do what you do want to do, you'll never know if you could have been a success at it. A superstar. (laughs) Ironically enough, in that story that Kira's relating, Jim Carrey's father also wanted to be a stand-up comic. (laughs) So his son achieved that dream, and Jim Carrey's father never, ever did. So you can't really be successful until you learn to love yourself enough to give yourself what you need to thrive. And when you've done that, then you can help others. So principle six is to work as if money doesn't matter. And again, do you see how these principles tend to overlap each other and they tend to support each other? And I kind of like that because it reinforces so many of these areas. We get involved in one, but we see that we need further work. So he provides another principle to give us that additional work. And there's always work. (laughs) There's always additional work. But it's the following your heart work. So exactly. it's really enriching and really expanding when you're able to do that. When you're following your heart, you have to take your emotions into consideration. You have to consult them. What are you feeling? If any of you are following Abraham Hicks or any of those writings, this is the parameter that is used to help you guide yourself through life is paying attention to your emotions. And how does it feel? This is how you're going to know if you're going down the right road or not. Does it light you up? Is it full of soul energy? And does it touch the soul energy in others? Does it inspire others to serve in a way that makes you feel good? That's the greatest mission. It's also the greatest feeling. Kira just said feelings, but that is the greatest feeling. Sometimes before you can make a life change, you must first make an attitude change. By learning to change your attitude... Your power to create outer change dramatically changes. Sometimes before a physical sickness will even clear up, an attitude change or an emotional change is necessary. That must first be healed. And then your physical healing can actually come through for you. Right. A lot of times we have a lot of blocks and we don't always know what they are. They can be emotional blocks. They can be physical blocks. You can have love issues that are unresolved. But if you work on resolving all the things that are blocking you from having that high state of energy, that energy that we're talking about that lights you up in life, if you work on that aspect, then you have a much greater possibility of being healthy in every area of your life. He does give a technique for helping this process along in this principle as well. And his technique is to employ lots and lots of gratitude to begin offering gratitude every day and in as many ways as you can. Be happy for what you have now, whatever level it may be. Right, bloom where you're planted. (laughs) Just this one shift can start you seeing new opportunities all around you 
some that have been patiently waiting for you to create a better life that you just never opened up to before. But being grateful for what you presently have will allow them to come forward and be visible to your sight. Right. New ideas will be generated. The universe will help you. The more you help yourself and the more you start down a path with that as-if principle, as-if you can do anything, the universe will go, oh, yes, you can do that. I'll help you. (laughs) And that's sort of what happens. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Principle seven is relax as if everything will be okay. As you do begin to experience your miraculous inner potential, all the things like fear, worry, panic, anxiety begin to lessen and eventually these things just disappear. You have to be grounded in your true self. And the ultimate truth is that everything eventually does turn out okay. And we know this is true about most of the things that we worry about in life. They don't really turn out to be as bad as we often imagine they will be. Why expend any energy imagining the negative? And actually, too, many of the negative experiences that we have actually do offer a growth opportunity to us in the end. It's merely a matter of attitude. You can learn from something negative. If you do approach a crisis with inner calm, then you could perhaps be much more effective at finding solutions than if you're accentuating the anxiety and the fear aspect of what's going on. Principle eight is talk to God as if you are being heard. So there's a new one. I like to feel that if we stop and work at it, that we can learn to have God talk to us. And we can hear what God has to say. And we can actually use the messages to help build a better life for ourselves and for those we love. Now, sometimes you're coming from a really wounded place. The reason I say this is because I can remember many, many years ago, before I began a lot of my spiritual studies, I was what I termed at the time atheist, or perhaps agnostic would be a better word, but I did not really believe in God. Then episodes began to happen in my life and different things began to happen and I began to see the little miracles taking place. And over and over again, I began to recognize that there was this force. And what I realized is that I didn't believe in God, perhaps in the way it had been defined to me as I was growing up, but I did believe in this force. I remember at one particular time I was going through a really bad feeling. Some things were happening that were just not going correctly and Late in the night, I was looking at the sky and there was this storm brewing. The clouds were billowing and there was a big moon and all these clouds were rushing in front of it. What I said is, out of despair, I mean, out of utter despair of not knowing how to pray or how to reach this force, I was really wanting help with my life. And I said, I don't know who you are or what you are, but I know you're there. Please help me. And I have to tell you that within a week, I was in touch with a person who was following a spiritual pathway that just seemed to dovetail with my life. And all of a sudden, I had this awakening and I just started moving in the right direction for myself. I really do believe that it's possible to, as Bill said, when you're going through really something that seems really negative, that this is sometimes what will catapult you into the positive experience. Now, John Gray talks about not only taking that type of experience that Kira had and making it your own, but if you don't have something that's so serious that you need that desperate help immediately, 
you can sit down and imagine that you are flowing the God energy into your body. Start with your fingertips. Let the God energy flow into your fingertips. See it. And then as it's coming in, feel it flowing in. Feel the temperature is different. Feel if things are stirring in your body that are different. He says if you learn to flow this energy into yourself and begin to feel it into yourself, that it is now available, even though it's imaginary, it is actually now available for you to use and to try to experiment with. You can use it on others in a positive way. You can use it on yourself. You can use it on life issues. There's really no end to what you can use this kind of energy to help create good fortune in your life and in other people's lives. And it can start with just sitting down and imagining it. And just that easily, you can then also begin to imagine that you're receiving help every day. Bill and I followed a spiritual pathway, an esoteric pathway, for over 30 years. I think one of the most wonderful things about that pathway is that it really did teach me how to look for these miracles every day. Just by being on that pathway, I grew exponentially. I began to see that miracles do occur readily. And also, I had this sense, a continuous sense on a daily basis, that I was being helped every moment of my life. That was an extremely beneficial aspect to the pathway that we followed. That experience is so powerful because now you begin to feel that you are not doing it by yourself, that God is doing it through you, that the inner power, the force is doing it through you. And you don't have to be alone. It's not you against the world. It's you and the inner force that is accomplishing this. So you can begin to relax. You can begin to leave the struggle behind and realize that you have, as one of our good friends used to say, the greatest advanced man in the universe on your side. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, you do. And it's you. That's the really wonderful part that eventually you begin to realize. It isn't anyone outside of you. It's actually you. You are the greatest advanced man in the universe when you believe it. I think this is the beauty of any spiritual teaching is that ultimately that is the realization that you will have is that you are that powerful. Not only are you that powerful, every person is. And you begin to really respect that aspect of every other person. How much more connected can you become than that? You have this connection, and some people call it love. You can call it whatever you want to, but what it is is that we all have a common source, and we're all functioning out of that. You begin to realize that you're not greater than another or lesser than another. You all have that same potential. Well, everybody's flowing the same force out of their own bodies, and it is their birthright as human beings to flow this force. It's interesting to note that Hugh, H-U, Hugh, is the ancient Sanskrit for God. So from the ancient Sanskrit language, which was one of the first languages in recorded history on this planet, as a human, we are actually a God-man in their language, So that's our birthright right from the start. Yes, we are divinely inspired individuals. We're going to take a break here for a moment to thank a sponsor. This segment of our podcast is sponsored by BulletPad, the fun and intuitive app for writing outlines and organizing your thoughts on your iPad. With BulletPad, you can quickly create a hierarchical list of bullet points, giving structure to your great ideas. 
Bulletpad is a great tool for writers and thinkers, featuring a simple but powerful toolbar above the keyboard to help you navigate your text with arrow keys and to change the indent of your bullet points. Use drag and drop to move your bullet points anywhere in the list. Use the zoom in feature to drill down on any section of your list or use zoom out to get the big picture view. Bulletpad is available now for free. Just go to the App Store on your iPad and search for Bullet Pad. Principle 9 says, Feast as if you have whatever you want. More or less, it's saying eat more of the nutritional foods as much as you want and lose pounds and inches easily. It's a way of using reverse psychology. It's a game that you're playing with your conscious mind. So if you approach your new eating plan as if you're restricting yourself, I can't have this, I can't eat that, then you're going to rebel against all of those rules and regulations, and then you're going to sabotage your goals. But if you approach your eating plan as if every meal is a banquet, and you can choose any of the delicious entrees, but you allow your subconscious mind to help you suggest those things that are healthy and nutritious, you open up to a new way of eating. So you're not restricting yourself, you're allowing yourself to have a new experience with food. And this is a healthy choice game. When you're playing this game, which we might call the healthy choice game, initially you have to let your own good intentions be the deciding vote. So it's good to say that the subconscious will influence your conscious mind. But when you go to a banquet, your conscious mind is going to be drawn to the cake and the pie and the ice cream and some of the fat foods that you probably don't need to eat on a nutritional program that John Gray is describing. So your subconscious will be busy suggesting healthy choices, and your conscious will be busy in an old groove. So you kind of have to be as the overriding judge to make the final decision and help sway into the direction of healthy. Over time, the conscious mind will learn to go along because the conscious mind will learn to love and respect not only the choices that you're making, but also the way your body is starting to look which will be losing weight in a very effortless way. So this is what he means by feast, as if you could have whatever you want. When you first read that, I'm thinking, oh yeah, cool. I can have all the fat that I want off the steak. I can have mashed potatoes with lots of butter, and I can have tasty treats, none of which are very healthy (laughs) for me to have. But after time, and after I see what's happening in my body, I naturally want to gravitate towards what I might consider to be a very austere diet from, say, two or three or four or five years ago. I used to say, I live to eat. A friend of mine said, well, I eat to live. And I thought, oh, what's wrong with you? You don't have very much fun. But I totally understand now. And as I look in the mirror, as I step on the scale, I'm really happy with the results. And so am I. So you're really just naturally gravitating toward new healthy habits, is what John Gray is trying to say. He uses the chicken or egg metaphor here, too. He says, do you exercise strenuously to lose weight, or do you lose weight because your dietary changes stimulate a natural desire to begin activities that are fun to do? Things like bike riding or swimming or just anything that you might like to do. These things just so happen to be physical things that will help you to lose weight as well. He also says that pushing an unhealthy, overweight body around to exercise sometimes is an additional strain, and it's not only unhealthy, it's also probably unnecessary. 
Once you lose the extra weight, you're going to want to create opportunities to exercise because it feels good and it keeps your body strong and vibrant. These are the things that you're going to want to choose and it'll be a natural choice at that point. So those are the nine principles and I hope we conveyed why we think they're important in your life. None of these ideas may seem strikingly different to you. You may have seen a lot of them before, but putting them all into one program and exercising that program often makes a big difference. Just take a look at what we've done here and see if you might implement some of these things in your life. And Bill, I think that's our show for today. Bill and I want to thank you for being with us today. You can subscribe to our show by going to iTunes Podcast and just look for the Better Living Institute Book Talk Podcast. Or you can also find us on the web at www.betterlivinginstitute.com. And there you'll find all of our podcasts, articles, and products. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, we hope that you'll also share it with your friends and family. Thanks again for being with us, and please join us again next week. For the Better Living Institute Book Talk Podcast, this is Kira and Bill Van Ittersom. So long for now, everyone. Mm-hmm.